Whereabouts are you situated, Adam? I mean, oh, just south of Noosa in Sunshine Beach. Ah, right. I wasn't sure because um, I do interviews like all around the world and I didn't know if we were, you're like California or where you were. <laughs> uh, no, no, not, nothing as uh, glamorous as California. <laughs> it is a beautiful place, isn't it? Uh, I've only been there the once. It was uh, an interesting experience. I, I think I needed a bit more time to get around to different areas. Mm. Yeah. I've been yeah. to the States about five times and I just love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be interesting to get back now. It's been, uh, it's been, I haven't been there since, when was I there? 2007 was the last time and then, uh, and then family happened. So. Ah, you got kids. Two of. Two. Nice. How old are they? This is an interesting discussion because I keep, I keep aging my daughter. She's 10. She's 11 in December. But I always think she's 11 going on 12. She's an old soul. <laughs> and my son's 13. Oh, wow. But I think that's the mathematics of it because I always see them as two years apart when they're, in fact, two and a half years apart. So there's always that he has his birthday and she hasn't caught up yet. <laughs> I yeah. see. But uh, obviously loving parenthood. Yeah, 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 very much. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's great. You've always been in Queensland? No, I'm a Melbourne boy. Ah, uh, glad you got out of that before all the oh, pandemic, right? Good Lord. Could you imagine? Yeah, I've been helping a lot of people down there, actually. Mm. Yeah, it's been really tough on a lot of them. And uh, they always talk about all the stats of how many people are vaccinated, but they never talk about how many people we've lost behind the scenes, right? Not, not from the vax, but, you know, who've taken their life. It's really sad. Yeah, I, uh, I've been having the discussion in and around numbers a lot okay. lately in, with people in that area and with people not in that area. Um, in, in so far as, you know, numbers tell a certain part of the story, but not all of it. And you can find numbers to justify your own beliefs really quickly. Yeah. And uh, justify certain decisions, points of view, directions and yeah numbers are great but they only tell part of the story if you pick and choose the numbers yeah and I think you've yeah you've really said something important there which is we're not tracking the impact of the treatment so to speak like we're trying to yeah. trying to stop one disaster and creating another one that no one's measuring yeah, I actually saw uh, an influencer. She's got over 200,000 followers on Instagram. She was making a post about she's very pro-vax. Mm -hmm. she, made, she made a post that was almost having a dig at those that hadn't done it like I know better than you. She like posted yeah, yeah, yeah. facts on it kind of thing. Yep. Anyway, um, I've remained very silent on the whole thing because I don't like to get caught up in politics. But <clears throat> I thought, wouldn't it be nice to see people of influence actually using it in less of a hierarchy, I know better than you attitude to enlighten and encourage people because we're all making a decision based on fear, fear of either getting the virus or fear of getting the shot and having an adverse effect, right? So let's not mock each other. Let's all accept that we're in this together and we're all making decisions based on fear. So that doesn't make you any more superior or less human than me or mm -hmm. vice versa. 
you know, and I said to her that this is the sad part that people aren't aware of is it's the divide in humanity. That's the real killer here. Yes. Yeah. And she didn't like that too much. <laughs> no, no. And it's, it's the old thing. And I'm reconnecting with it. It's kind of a philosophical idea that as soon as you make a stand, you create yourself an other. Yeah. And then you create a schism. Yeah. So what's the middle way? Like they talk about the middle way in Taoism, right? So what's, mm. what's the, or the middle path where you're not standing on either side of the fence. You're not left or right. You're not judging mm. anyone. Yes. And, and what we've lost in this discussion from, from my perspectives, perspective is it's become pro-vax, anti-vax. I know. And I don't think that's the discussion. I think we've missed the discussion. Yeah. Because many of my friends are neither pro nor anti. What they are is I want the information to be able to make an educated decision. Yes. And I don't feel that anyone should be able to tell me what to do in and around this. Yes. And given the state of the media here in Australia and pretty much everywhere else, only one side that wants to be, that, that, that the, uh, the owners want out there gets out there. So the discussion becomes skewed. Yeah. And, and it's not just about pandemic and it's not just about vaccine. It's so much bigger than all of that. Mm. And yet the people that are putting up their hands saying, can we just press pause for a moment and have a look at the big picture and talk about humanity and love and kindness yes. and a path forward that doesn't involve judgment and shame. Yes. And that person or those people are getting put down and being called anti-vaxxers. Well, yeah. no, I'm not anti-vaccine. Uh, I am pro. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a, it's not, if you're, Again, this is this is big news now because Texas have just passed this abortion law, which is horrendous. Uh, and again, you're not pro-life or anti-life. The opposite of pro-life is an anti-life. It's just mm -hmm. why can't we just have choice? Even if we don't agree, why can't we just have choice? Yeah. So anyway. yeah. Oh, what a lovely way to start. <laughs> It is always so good. It's so it's so this this whole podcast has become this beautiful organic conversation where yeah. it starts before it's even started sometimes. <laughs> and thankfully the, the the system in the background starts recording so we can just chat. It's so beautiful <laughs> that way that I love to forget that it's even being recorded and it's just a conversation and then someone can yeah. be a fly on a wall later on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just uh, organic and, and a conscious conversation. Yeah, and yeah. We don't have enough of those happening around the world. So true. Mm. So true. And I have found that the vast majority of my real, real conversations now, and not even with friends, they're in an environment like a men's circle where there's some sanctity around and there's a ceremony yes. and a, an understanding of what the space is about. Yes. Freedom to share. Yeah. And a knowledge that that won't be shared outside of, of that space. Yeah. Safe spaces to share. Yes. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, so people are so guarded about their opinions now because it's becoming difficult to share without being judged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I speak about that a lot in my lives and my events is uh, removing the judgment of ourselves because mm. we keep projecting that judgment onto other people. And when we realize that 
that judgment is actually coming from within and we can clean that up within ourselves. Mm -hmm. We remove that judgment that we're having on other people and therefore we all start to heal ourselves and heal each other and create that space of vulnerability and see that as a strength instead of a weakness. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I've, it's, it's amazing that you talk about judgment because literally yesterday and before this call, I was writing some content about some video material that I'm just going to put out as free sort of social content yeah. in and around the idea of self-judgment being one of, if not the greatest reason for you being stuck right now, wherever you are. Yes. And so if we, if we can find a way to sit with whatever's coming up now, at some level, we're going to come across a judgment yeah. or some level of judgment in and around situation, self-worth, the other, mm-hmm. and that's where the block is. So then the work becomes, how do we clean that out? As you were saying, how do we, how does, what, what has to happen here? Mm-hmm. And, and I love the idea of just letting go. However, for people who don't have the experience of how simple that can be, hmm. Uh, it is it's simple and difficult at the same time i often say it's a simple concept just let it go yeah okay but there is a process that one might need to go through the first time one is letting go of something that's pretty heavy Mm. it's not just I, i feel forgiveness needs to come before that as well because if they don't forgive the things mm. that they need to let go Uh, And they can't let go of things that have happened to them and they feel the pain that's been caused by other people because they haven't learned to forgive themselves yet either, right? So that's what I'm saying. If you remove the judgment of yourself, you remove judgment for others. If you mm -hmm. learn to forgive yourself and have compassion and understanding for yourself and remove all the negative emotions of shame and guilt and all of that, then you automatically are able to have that for other people because Mm -hmm. you've removed it for yourself. That no longer resides inside of you. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. It's a ripple effect. It so is. And, and I've been talking a lot lately about turning the focus inward, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting, it's a really interesting thing to say to people because all of a sudden you lose, I'd say 80% of your audience or 80% of the, the general population, not necessarily my audience, or your audience, because there, there is, there's a reason they're already tuned in. Sure. But you can see the blank faces. <laughs> and 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 because and that it is perfectly okay this there is absolutely no judgment in me saying this it, it, that, that person or those people are not yet ready for that information they're somewhere else on that journey yes and they haven't come to that depth that it is i, I need to attend to this at the moment yeah i think forgiveness is a really big thing i've i don't necessarily know that i speak of that explicitly Mm. it's great when things like this come up because it makes me it makes me think of is that something that there is meat for myself and and for my clients as well and for my audience Mm -hmm. that's a yeah okay so i'd be interested to hear more about that from you like how how would you work in and around forgiveness either with yourself with a client with an audience what's yes that work look like I just did uh, another session of group coaching this morning. So I run a program that's, I run multiple programs, but this one in particular is the most popular. I run it five times a year. It's called Break Free. It's about breaking free from that former version of ourselves and that old story that we feel trapped in that you were talking Mm. about where they feel stuck. And 
Uh, week two is about rewriting the story. But in order to do that, they need to have a look at their old story. Mm-hmm. And I always share examples with them of how we create these stories and then create beliefs attached to those stories. And then those beliefs produce these thoughts that then create our emotions. And if they can connect the dots and realize what they're doing to themselves and how they're creating their own feelings and this situation they've put themselves in, they can start to have ownership and have forgiveness and responsibility in that rather than placing blame elsewhere externally, Mm -hmm. right? Once you identify that you're responsible for how you feel and you're creating your own emotions, that's what you're saying about going inward and them having those blank looks on their faces. They're like, oh shit, you mean I'm responsible for this? (laughs) I have to do the work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it's about um, connecting the dots first and then going deeper on that next level and having a look at that story. Let's assess that story because that story has been created from certain experiences in your life. But because our programming is so strong at a young age, we all know how incredible our imagination is from a young age, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Imaginary friends, superheroes, all those sorts of things, right? And so if we have such a wild imagination and we're able to create these stories that then produce these beliefs, there's parts of those stories that aren't necessarily true and they're real because they're real to that person because they created them and it's their reality, but it doesn't mean that it holds truth. And although it's real to them, they need to assess what parts of that story are false. And in admitting that is is great pain because they have to face the parts of themselves they've been at war with. Mm-hmm. And in this story and these parts that aren't true, they then need to accept that, hey, I'm responsible for creating that story. So therefore I have to have forgiveness for myself for creating that story. And what may have happened when they created that story is they've projected hate, blame, resentment, bitterness, onto other people in their world. And this is what tears families apart and differences of opinion and things like that. And so they have to heal years of pain and suffering that they realize they're actually responsible for. Mm -hmm. That war was always within themselves. Yeah. Right. And so that's where I believe that assessing the story Let's have a look at it and the beliefs you've attached to that story, which is producing those thoughts, which is creating those emotions. Let's connect those dots. Let's have a look at what is true and what is created in your reality from that story. And I always say that we sacrifice the truth to match our reality, right? We sacrifice the truth to match our reality because it suits how we feel. It's less painful. Exactly. Well, for that moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Until they're faced with the reality that, you know, shit, I created that and I'm responsible for this. And the same stuff keeps happening and I keep coming back to the same point. Exactly. For for that feeling of comfort. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's huge, a huge awakening, huge breakthrough for them. Um, But then we go into writing their new story and moving forward. And I also get them to have a look at um, I get them to, from, from a disassociated perspective as well, get them to look at that old story and then name that old character of themselves. Oh, that's a beautiful technique. I love that. Right? Yeah, I get yeah, them yeah. to name that former version of themselves so that they can associate with who that person was, mm. but they no longer want to be moving forward. 
And it's yeah. important that they don't use a name that is their current name. So for me in my old story, I was sorry, Sally, <laughs> right? But that's my name's not Sally. So it, it doesn't allow me to remain attached to that story, but I'm able to reference her and the way that she behaved and the story that she carried and her beliefs mm. as though she's real and I acknowledge her and I thank her as well for bringing me this far in my journey, but I'm no longer at war with her. That's the bit, isn't it? Yes. It's that last bit. The resentment's gone. The, the, the need to continue the fight. Yes. And stepping, yeah. into, stepping into acceptance. Mm, because she believed that she was in a war with the world. She was fighting the world consistently. Yeah. Yeah. So big game changer. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's such, and it's such a big deal for people to work that one out. Yes. Yeah, even even though there'll be diff- different coaches, different guides, gurus, teachers, uh, mentors who will open a door in a different way, but it's often to this same part of the work. I'm um, I'm deep in my investigation. I've reconnected with Baba Ram Dass's work. Okay. So uh, I don't know if you know much about Ram Dass. He uh, he was formerly Richard Alpert. So he was a Harvard professor who did a whole lot of LSD with Timothy Leary. Right. So I went through that path pathway. So he was trying to find himself through psychedelics. Right. And then worked out that he kept getting high, but he kept coming back down again. So he was w- walking through the doorway to higher consciousness and then coming back to. So, so he went to India and he spent 18 months in India and found a guru. So, like a, a, an actual realized being, which must be the most amazing experience because I've had teachers, but I've never had a guru. So <laughs> to find someone who's like, <laughs> he said, you know, he is a cooked goose. He is just a mirror of where you're not. And that's his whole role is he mirrors where you're not. So that's the teaching. He's, that doesn't tell you to do anything. Wow. Anyway. So when he came back from India, he'd been given this name Ram Das, which means servant of God. And uh, you would probably know some of his teachings. Like if you've heard Alan Watts speak, you would have heard some of Ram Das speaking as well. They've, they were contemporaries. Aldous Huxley was little bit senior but they moved in the same circles sure so there's a lot of audio this guy was in and around the 60s and 70s and beyond just doing the circuit in california and around america talking to people so So i've been listening to podcasts and podcasts and he has been talking about you need to allow yourself to die so you can be reborn again this idea of yeah. That that old story, as you call it, yeah. the way he's talking about it with this Hindu sort of mysticism behind his teachings yeah, wow. is you have to let that version of yourself die. Mm. It's okay to grieve and it's okay to have to sit with and mm. then you move on into the what's next. Yeah. yeah. And until you can do that, you're stuck. Sure. All these different doorways in us. So it's so beautiful because it now allows us, we don't have to go and attach to a Hindu guru's language mm. and find a coach or a mentor who has a similar life experience, especially in the Western world, because it's such a culturally different dynamic. Yes. But yeah, the way you're speaking about it, it's really nice. I quite like that because well, that's not, it's not the language I would use, but I can still connect to it. Yes. Well, I want people to make peace with their former selves to remove the pain and suffering there that they harbor the guilt, the shame and whatnot, because we've all got parts of our story that we regret or we feel we made mistakes or we feel Mm. we failed or whatever. And that's just part of learning and growing, but it's hard to accept that for a lot of people. 
And so if they can review that story and find those elements of it that they need to make peace with, um, I would rather than not have this harshness of, or that part of me needs to die kind of thing. I want them to actually embrace and be grateful for that version of themselves for carrying them as far as they can, but um, almost meet them halfway and say, you know what, thank you, but I'm taking over from here. Mm. Right. And let's, let's embody that higher version of themselves and step into that role, knowing that the former version still is there and we don't want to banish them and we don't want to hate them. Um, but, but we want to let them know that they are no longer responsible for carrying the burden and the pain and everything they've been carrying. And to me, I believe that former version, it, majority of that is that inner child. I was right? waiting for that to come up. Which is why it's important that we don't want that person to die. Because how I say to people is when you see someone reacting to something, I say, imagine them as an adult having a tantrum because that's what it is. It's an adult version of a tantrum. And if you mm -hmm. can imagine a little toddler absolutely cracking it in the supermarket aisle, which we've all witnessed at some point. Sometimes your own. That's <laughs> <laughs> pointing at myself. <laughs> right. And then we get older. We just learn how to have tantrums differently. Yeah, right? really <laughs> well. Sometimes in the most self-destructive ways. Exactly. That's my point. So if we are able to view an adult having a tantrum and can witness a little child inside of them that is unhealed and still needing to have those tantrums, then that's the one, that's the parts of themselves they need to forgive and take ownership for and start to let go and start that process of healing and letting go. Mm. A beautiful journey, but a very confronting one and can be uncomfortable at times. So I always tell people, buckle in for the ride to, to, to the journey of meeting your higher self. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, well, you can't be comfortable. But I think comfort's a trap. Yes. And, and it's really interesting you talk, because it's, it's a journey. So you can, you can talk about the analogy of actually taking a physical journey, which is pretty tough at the moment. But everyone I've spoken to, and I'm speaking in metaphor with them to give them an idea of how the journey can be quite wonderful, even though it's scary mm -hmm. is I often ask, have you ever, have you ever traveled somewhere, especially another country with no plan, nowhere to stay? And, <laughs> and you get, you get a yes. Okay. So tell me about the experience. Oh, it was the best experience we ever had. We found these people on the train and they took us here and we ate this and we've never eaten that before. And then someone's <laughs> nonna let us stay in the, <laughs> the attic for three nights and okay so is that different to having this great plan where you've got everything mapped out oh yeah we've, we did that as well but it wasn't as exciting exactly which one was comfortable the planned one which one was uncomfortable and scary the unplanned one yes where was the where was the joy the unplanned one yeah and just let just okay there we go. Yeah. well it depends see. on people's values Right, because well, can I, be, yeah, yeah, I go through what people value and their their human needs, and if they value certainty, heading somewhere with no plan would give them immense anxiety and freak the shit out of some people. Which in some right. cases could be great, like that could be the thing they need. Yeah, because then they can prove they can get past that. Exactly, but it's actually getting them to do it. In the oh, of course, place. yeah, 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 yeah. And so, so the path for that person might not be okay. Well, you know. I've just dropped you off in the middle of the Sahara with a chicken and a bottle of water. Go work your 
the self out. It's maybe a bit too much. But but so it might be a smaller step into the big thing. Yeah. And yet that person can still work it out by analogy or by by story that there is this possibility here. Yes. Yeah. But the person that values uncertainty would tell you it was the most amazing experience where the other one may have had a revelation out of it, but they also would tell you it was extremely overwhelming. It was horrible. They would, they would focus on the negative because that's what someone that values certainty is used to focusing on. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Just debilitating to their growth. Another big trap that need for certainty comes up a lot. Yes. Yes. It, it's one of the reasons my marriage um, ended actually is because I valued uncertainty. And when my father passed, so for those that don't know, I lost him to suicide three and a half years ago. So when he passed, my values changed. My, my, I started to value time mm-hmm. and uh, how I spent that. And I also valued uncertainty and spontaneity and fun and adventure and experience. And mm. I wanted to grab life with both hands and take it for all it was worth. Right. And I feel I had that in me before, but I became a bit of a workaholic. You know, I, I started to become shaped by society's ideations of what success looks like and started ticking all the boxes and creating that picket white fence life. Mm. You know, perfect on Instagram kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And unfortunately, um, my husband at the time, he valued certainty and it created great anxiety for him to do things spontaneously and out on a whim. And so that created a, a huge divide in our connection and our ability to connect. And uh, that was one of the main one of the the main reasons as to why I reassessed everything and thought I can't change this person's values. I can't change their choice and how they want to live, but I do have a choice. Mm-hmm. And I started to value my freedom and my ability to make those choices for myself without sacrificing parts of me and my spirit and everything else just to 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 become conformed right and and surrender to what everyone else feels is the norm yeah it's been a beautiful journey yeah heavy Mm. heavy but beautiful yeah and i learned the difference between lonely and alone right there were there were parts where the journey was very confronting and you felt more alone than you ever have in your life because again you're meeting those parts of yourself you've been at war with and you're embarking on this journey all by yourself mm-hmm. you know and my dad was my biggest lifeline and without him without him it was like whoa I've got to face this world all on my own now mm-hmm. <laughs> right so yeah I, I always tell people it's a big difference I discovered in being alone and lonely right being alone is when you are happy and content to be alone and have uh inner peace and just really comfortable there's a lot of people that aren't comfortable to be alone and then the loneliness is when you're not comfortable to be on your own and you're in that space of I need and you lack and you're desperate and the energy around that's really unhealthy Mm -hmm. and you can can be in relationship and be lonely yes physically right next to someone yes still feel lonely and then you can be physically alone and feel so connected to the universe at the same time (laughs) we we get the two confused yes and sometimes we equate them Mm. i'm by myself therefore i'm lonely but uh, 
Mm. My wife likes being around people more than I do. Um, she's like, you would go and sit on a desert island by yourself for three weeks and be fine, wouldn't you? And I'd be like, best thing ever. Like, yeah. I love it. And then I would still <laughs> really want to see people as well. But I, I like alone. Mm. I, I really do. Uh, mm. I mean, I don't like lonely, but I also am not very accepting of that concept for myself. So, and which is, again, I'm not pushing that out there to anyone else. It's just I don't accept loneliness for me because I don't feel lonely when I'm by myself and I don't feel lonely when I'm with other people. And if I do, I, what's the shit that I'm holding on to that I don't, that that's making me respond in this way to this situation? Yes. So I don't yes. know. Someone, asked, yeah. someone asked me recently, I had a, one of my students ask me, you know, do you ever get lonely? Because he really struggles to be on his own since a breakup. To the point where he didn't even want to sleep in his own bed. He slept on the couch for four months. Wow. Yeah. That's a big that, anchor. Yeah, that's how bad it is. Mm -hmm. Like he felt that he wasn't deserving of going to bed to sleep in it by himself because huh. sleeping, by, sleeping by himself was a representation of I've lost everything, you know, and I, I have to get into this bed by myself. It was almost like a punishment is how he yeah. viewed it. Right. And again, it's those stories that we tell ourselves and the beliefs that we, we create around it. How it should be versus how it is. Yeah. And most people reach out to me because they're going through a breakup. That's when they're confronted with, well, who am I on my own? Right. That's changing, when changing yeah. role. Yes. And they have to get to know that person and they don't want to make the same mistakes moving into the next relationship. So they're confronted with, well, do I want to work on this and be a better version of myself for the next relationship? Or do I want to repeat the same patterns? <laughs> right. This is one of the main reasons they reach out to me. Oh, so yeah. and you getting can see. them, yeah, to be comfortable with being alone is, is a huge milestone. Well, it's massive. Mm. It's massive. It removes codependency in the relationship. Yes. This yeah. need for the other person. And then yes. With that need, that codependent need, if they behave in a way that doesn't conform, then there's something else to get stuck on. Yes. Like another another one of those hooks on the Velcro that just gets you attached mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've yeah. I've had clients that have gone around that loop with multiple partners. Yes. Uh, and then they finally say, okay, well, there's one constant here. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay. Now we're there. Let's mm -hmm. move on. Yes. So getting them to acknowledge it in the first place and then unpacking why they have that need. And this is what I mean. It usually stems from their programming from a young age, whether they've sure. got abandonment issues, they've been rejected in the past, they've created a story around why they need it rather than they want it. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one with the masculine side of the equation. There are a lot of men who are trying to save their mum through their partner as well. Yes. And that's an interesting dynamic as well. But yes. yeah, that's that's so part of the resolution for that man in that relationship is letting go of what or resolving internally what happened previously. Yeah. So then you can actually find a partner, not yes. not someone to save. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that loss of polarity, the power of polarity there that you're saying, because one's two in the masculine, one's two in the feminine. I just did a live about this the other day and confessed that I identified in my journey and facing myself is that one of the things I realized I debilitated my husband's um, growth in, in our marriage and him stepping into his masculine, I was emasculating him without even knowing I was doing it because I was too in my masculine, 
right? I yep. made money. I had a successful business. He was at a nine to five job pretty much. And every decision we made, all our holidays that we went on, I organized everything. I paid for everything. It was like I took on that role. But because he grew up with, I want to say, a more secure home environment than what I did, <laughs> um, I wouldn't say it was, you know, cushioned or anything, but much different. <laughs> mine and because I left home at such a young age I went into that fight survival mode right it was like nobody's going to mess with me I can do this on my own I don't need anyone right and these mm -hmm. stories I created around that um, I had a chip on my shoulder <laughs> and so that put me in my masculine and then entering into a relationship I admired these beautiful soft qualities about him but then I realized it was more the feminine energy in him that I admired because I lacked them. But I didn't know this at the time. It wasn't until after the marriage ended and I did the mm -hmm. inner work that I was like, okay, this makes sense now. Um, and this is where people can harbor the guilt and the shame and all those negative emotions because they realize where they messed up. They realize where the behavioral traits came from. And then they think, oh my God, if I'd known this before, we might still be together, right? So that's where that forgiveness comes in and that ownership and uh, it can be a painful journey, but the masculine and feminine energies and that power polarity is absolutely necessary. Yeah. And then I started to resent him because he wasn't in his masculine, right? Because I wanted to be in my true essence of who I am as a woman in my feminine flow, but I didn't know how to surrender to that. And I resented him for not stepping up and being that protector and that masculine energy that I needed. And especially when my father passed, mm -hmm. because I, I lacked that completely in my life then. All right. So it was like, who else do you turn to, to feel like you've got a, a safe protector, something that's, you know, really there that doesn't make you feel so alone. And then that's when it dawned on me that I was alone in that marriage. It's so lovely to hear your perspective on that because I've sat in so many men's circles mm. with men and I, I clearly I will not share anything that's personal, but just a very general, this will be a very general share that a number of men are emasculated in their relationship. And, and so there are societal pressures on women to step up and be stronger and all of this kind of stuff. And they step more into their masculine and there's almost been a, and this could just be my perception. There's almost been a push with um, some communications to women to almost push down the feminine because it's weak mm -hmm. or you push that down a little bit. So you'll get more if you come into your masculine, a different language getting used again, no judgment. It just is what it is. It's sort of a product of the times, you know, and then men are being told that a lot of masculinity is toxic so they're stepping back from that, yeah, right. even, in, even in marriage. And then all of a sudden, as you say, that polarity shifts a little bit, but it doesn't shift to a position of balance. Mm. It, it, almost, it almost flips over. Yeah. And so both sides of the equation get a little bit confused as to you know, like, what, am I, what am I doing here? I'm told this is what's supposed to be happening right now, but it doesn't feel... I'm thinking this way and I'm feeling that way and it's all mm -hmm. a little bit. And, and so it becomes very strange. And then the difficulty becomes having the conversation because if we have, if we use the wrong language, people think we're talking about moving back to the fifties where we just have a housewife 
and we have a man who goes out and earns the money and the dog needs to bring the man the slippers and the cigar when he gets home and the kids just shut up in the corner. Yeah. So there's this mistaken idea of what we're talking about when we're talking about polarity. Yes. Because, because shifts in polarity are important. When I think of polarity, I always think about the yin-yang symbol. Yes. You know, there, there is the flow and then there's a part of each other inside the opposite. Yes. So it has to be that way for it to work. It's not black versus white, two blocks next to each other, just smacking up against each other. Yeah, yep. So it's lovely to hear your perspective on that mm-hmm. from a female feminine point of view, rather than hearing about men almost being pushed out of their masculine and therefore responding by stepping into the more feminine energy, because where else do you go? Yeah. And therefore the female in the relationship well there's a there's a gap there so that maybe they take on more masculine or maybe they took on more masculine so the man took on less and wherever it started it kind of so a number of men i've heard talking in their relationships about well i feel trapped here and but i'm not sure what to do because what you've got is the masculine energies banging up against each other yes yeah and i, and I only made the connection some time ago when I studied Chinese medicine 20 or so years ago and they they always talk about polarity but in a very esoteric flowery way mm. and they say it's okay to have feminine coming together because it's a softer energy right and it's okay to have masculine and feminine because they work together but when you get two masculine energies and this is not a, a gender or a sexual or anything like that type of thing but it's just the strength of that energy coming together yes they bang into each other yes so how do we, <laughs> I was like, oh, that philosophy that sounded so flowery actually comes back into the thread now. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting how all those teachings come back around. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I, I had a, a student ask me recently, well, how do I get back in, into my feminine? And I said, well, there's a reason why this masculine energy is so potent and so strong is because you feel there's still a strong need to protect yourself Mm. and so there's parts of her that she hasn't healed and that was my issue there was parts of myself I hadn't healed or forgiven or taken ownership for in my story that I felt I needed to have that masculine energy to protect myself because I was still under threat and was at war with the world right Mm -hmm. Mm. Jessica against the world (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah so getting people to realize that and put down their armor and surrender to the parts of themselves and not the outside world is huge again so it's a word right we we talk about surrender and we think it's giving up because Mm. we associate surrender with the japanese surrendered in world war ii to macarthur or whatever Uh, or you know it's some some negativity associated yeah. with the word mm. uh, and and therefore the western mind has a problem accepting that because of the, accepting the concept because of the word yes yeah mm. yeah i also like how you brought up that it depends on what people's version of masculine and feminine it is because there's so many different versions of that and and again interestingly i had a, a student yesterday say to me that his dad wasn't very masculine because i believe that my client's not in his true masculine at the moment and he's trying to fix women he keeps getting in these toxic situations with women that are so broken and damaged and he wants to fix them mm-hmm. and well, that's, a, that, that's a very masculine thing because that's what we're taught as children 
Right. You've got a, you've got a hammer, so go hit all the nails. But he's not valuing his worth and he's lacking self-worth in the sense he's doing it because one situation in particular, the, the woman is married and she's very unhappy in her toxic relationship in her marriage and he's being the sidekick at the moment. And he's, he quite happily allows her to use him as a Band-Aid to escape her reality. Mm-hmm. And I said, I need you to think of it like an alcoholic, right? I said, you're her drink. You're allowing her to escape her reality and you think that this is in the best interest of her because you're trying to rescue her and help her. And I said, but you're not because you have to remove the drink and send her back to her reality to face what she needs to face. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, but the reason you're not doing that is because you're getting your needs met in this as well and your need to want to fix and help people right, to feel worthy and validated and have purpose in that because you don't have it within yourself. Mm-hmm. So we're unpacking all of that for him. But what I found really interesting was when I asked him about his parents and his relationship with them, um, he said his dad, they were both uh, Jehovah Witnesses and he doesn't have, um, he, he has a, a good relationship with them, but he broke away from that at 18. He gave up a whole Jehovah Witness lifestyle. And he said that his dad's not a very masculine man. And I said, well, describe masculine then. And he said, well, all of my mates, their dads would go down the pub, drink beer, watch the football, swear, had tradie roles at at work, you know, those sorts of things. And the way he started to describe masculine to me was like, wow, like that's your version of what masculine is. That's very interesting. And so that's why I was able to describe his father as not being the masculine one. So everyone has a different version of what they see masculine as, right? Until they're able to identify that. And again, it's those stories they create. Is that true? Is that the real version of masculine? <laughs> well, then you think about the media that we grew up with as boys. So I'm 45. So movies were Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone blowing <laughs> shit up and having big yeah. guns and you know, massive muscles and yes and and there were no real feminine roles in any of those movies and and surprisingly enough there wasn't anything demeaning towards the feminine in those in those movies it was almost like they just weren't even there yeah. it's just a whole bunch of blokes running around going rah, 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 and shooting shit up <laughs> so that's what we grew up with so yeah. even by osmosis if we don't have a father figure or we don't even talk about it that's what you see a lot so that's mm-hmm. that was the 80s and probably mm-hmm. into the 90s as well mm-hmm. right now it's really interesting thinking about it now because super everything that's sort of taking over from the rambos and the terminators is marvel superheroes so I wonder what that does to the perception of the masculine for, for boys growing up now and even in, and even girls who identify in that way. Like, mm, what's all that about? Because yeah. that's what we saw. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I had another student who he watched, um, I don't know, if it was Superman or one of those that he was growing up. Maybe it was Astro Boy. Do you remember Astro Boy? Oh, I love Astro Boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I was, was watching one of those and... He, when his parents separated, he created this story that his dad didn't help his mum. And so, as you said before, he needed to step into that role as a protector and to help his mum. Yeah. Right. And then he ended up in a marriage and had daughters and the same thing. 
His wife never, ever worked. Even when the kids got old enough to go to school, she still never worked. He provided for six kids. Oh. Like, yeah. Wow. Six, six kids and um, just felt that it was his responsibility to provide for everyone. And he sacrificed so much of himself and lost himself in that. He wondered why he started turning to the drink. Yep. Right. And so what we unpacked with that and... And, and uncovered was that it was the superhero movies that he would watch when he was young. And that was so strong in his mind that that was his idea of the masculine and who he needed to become to protect everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you said, that, that programming, it comes in at a young age and then we create this perception of what we believe masculine is and what our role is. And I feel now that relationships you might agree with this because you touched on it before about the the old age and how the women used to go to work and the, the men stay home, you know, like the, the cave ages. Well, I believe that relationships worked more then than they do now because we're so addicted to our external environment. We're overstimulated, right? We have so much choice and people can literally sit on Tinder and just keep swiping and think, well, what else is out there? Right. When you think back in the day when there was no internet, you literally had to write a letter if you wanted to communicate with someone. And mm-hmm. so if you were introduced to Bob down the road from Aunt Mary, it was like, well, Bob is it. What else do I have? Right. And about people I, left in the village. <laughs> yeah, right. And um, Bob would go to work and provide for you. And your role was to stay home and have children and wash and clean and, you know, look after your man when he came home. Now the woman knew her role. There was no argument about that. They went to church every Sunday or whatever, and they had a role that they knew was their place in the world when they grew up. Mm-hmm. Every woman knew I grow up to go to the farmer's market, get the food and cook and clean and wash the clothes and dye them and stitch them and read to the kids before they go to bed or homeschool them, whatever. But they knew that was their role. They grew up watching their parents and knew that that was their role. And the same with the men, right? And it was it was necessary for them to have children because who was going to inherit all their land? Who was going to inherit the farm? Who were they going to pass it all on to, right? That, so it was necessary to procreate as well, where now women are having choice and people are having choice. Do I want to be a parent? Because it's not necessary. And the bigger the family, the better, right? More community and, and whatnot back then. And I explained to people that what they don't understand about marriage as well is why did they why did they call it giving away when the father walks you down the aisle and gives you away? Because he was responsible for looking after you until he found another man to take on that role to look after you. And so he was to give you away. But now we've got so many women that are independent, strong in leadership roles, determined to make it on their own and the whole I don't need a man attitude yet they're signing up to be walked down the aisle and given away, right? So there's this conflict there in what people's roles are. They don't know. They're not given a book and a guide on how to fulfill this ideal role they're meant to go in. And because they are overstimulated and overwhelmed with choice, they don't know who they are. And they've also taken on an identity of who they think they need to be in order to be loved, to be accepted, to not be judged. 
and they lose themselves in that. And they wonder why they feel stuck and suffocated and unhappy. And this is why so many relationships are breaking down. Mm. They don't know who they are. They don't know their identity. They don't know their role in the relationship. They don't know if they're in their masculine or their feminine, right? And there's so much controversy there and why am I even in this relationship? And then you've got people that are in it because they need it, not because they want to be in the relationship. And you've got people that are only coming in at 50% each way thinking that's enough when both people should be coming in at 100%. So, yeah, very passionate about helping people uncover who they are but also how to move forward with the relationship with themselves and then others because they're so fixated on how do I be better in relationships, right? Relationships is our life currency. We can't live without them and nobody wants to be alone, right? You will suffer if you spend too much time alone. We never want to end up on an island with the whole castaway situation. We want to be there temporarily for three weeks, like you said, but not three plus years. We would start to talk to a ball. Definitely. <laughs> Just like he did, right? Yeah, yeah. So if, if relationships is our life currency, what are we exchanging? What's the value of those relationships? No one's assessing that. No one's weighing that up and having a look at that they've just created this belief that i need a relationship because i don't want to be alone and then they get frustrated and angry when that person doesn't meet their needs and makes them feel good about themselves because they don't know how to make themselves feel good <laughs> <laughs> and it goes around and around and around right of course it does yeah it's a big yeah. circle yeah and i i uh i have this opinion that well, two things one that we live in a throwaway society mm. where, where this computer that I'm looking into right now, yep. when it finally gives up, it'll just go in a drawer somewhere and I'll go and buy a new one. It won't, yep. it won't get fixed. Yeah. My TV breaks. It's cheaper to buy a new one than it is to take it to someone, even if that person exists to fix it. Yeah. We replace our cars after 10 years when, my parents hardly ever replaced a car and their parents before them would have bought some kind of old Holden and that would have been the car for <laughs> the entirety of that, that family unit. Yes. So we live in a disposable society. Yes. And we model that behavior all the time. Mm -hmm. So if something's quote unquote broken, yeah. we don't fix it. We chuck it. We go get a new one. And we do that with relationships and it doesn't even have to be an intimate relationship. It doesn't have to be marriage or de facto or the one kind of relationship. Mm. could be just a friendship. Oh, well, you know, I don't have to put all that much effort in because if it doesn't work, well, I'll just go get another one. Yeah. And then you were talking about Tinder. Mm. See, Tinder is the next step, which is instant gratification. Mm. And so that, reinforces this what's over what's over the fence what's over mm. the next hill mm. and so again and and in in men's groups i've talked to men who are saying i'm with a beautiful woman but all of a sudden i'm looking at other women and it's only because mm. you can see all of that now yes now nothing's necessarily ha it's happening in here maybe in here it's not happening out there so we're not talking about affairs and all of this kind of stuff but just Look at all the bright, shiny lights. Yes. And that's on both sides of any relationship. Yeah. My dad does 
not he's not the most spiritual man in the world is is he's wonderful don't get me wrong he said to me when my parents it was on their just after the 30th wedding anniversary he said mate because that's what he calls me mate <laughs> you need to spend 30 years with someone to really understand I was like, holy shit, my dad said something profound. So that's like a moment where you sit down and you, <laughs> you, take, you take it in. You take it in. <laughs> and I, I think about that quite a lot. I'm 20 years into my relationship with my wife and I think about that quite a lot. It's work. There's work involved mm, in this. So much. When stuff goes wrong, that's pointing in the direction of the work where the focus on the work needs to be that's what we need to work on now or that's what i need to work on now and if my wife decides that's where she can work yeah. because it doesn't work well all the time no you know and my wife have gone through what situations where both of us have thought is this what we want you know what are we doing here this is not the way it's supposed to be going judgment comes back in right mm -hmm. oh, but you take your time and you sit with it and you work through what's going on in your own head your own heart and come to an accord and there's a way through mm -hmm. we don't i don't i don't think then it's the norm anymore to work through and to work on mm. i think it's to move on to yeah. to throw that away and go and get the next one yeah and then we back to what we were talking about earlier on where you get the people who have still got the same stories and the same patterns and go and get themselves a new relationship and the only thing that changed was the other person. Yes. Dynamics the same. Yes. Yeah. Hundred percent. So what do you well isn't it, just stay with that person and work the stuff out because you can both do the work. Yeah. Well, one but, of the things I had to face after I left my marriage was that I didn't realize for some time that I a big part of me was running. Running from the grief because I left him 12 months after my dad passed. Mm-hmm. And there were cracks in the marriage that was very evident right before my dad passed. And then when he passed, that was the catalyst for me that made me ask myself, is anything going to change here? You know, and I encouraged and tried for 12 months. And because I was on this journey of wanting to heal mm -hmm. my grief, I realized there was a lot more than just my dad that I needed to heal. Yeah. And when you try and encourage someone to embark on that journey with you, to the point where I spent a $6,000 ticket to Tony Robbins um, for him and he refused to go. I was just so adamant that we both needed help individually and collectively together. But when that person doesn't want to face themselves or isn't willing to do the work or isn't in the fight with you to grow together, um, that was when I, I was triggered by my past and my family because I created this story that my, my family all chose drugs over me, which I know is complete BS now. But at the time, that was the story I created. And so I believed that I wasn't his first choice, right? That's the story I told myself. But what I now have identified was he just didn't know how to choose himself. He, he didn't know how to. He wasn't ready. So rather than sitting in that pain and suffering and, and thinking it's all me and poor me, uh, it's a much different perspective now. And then I realized that a big part of me was just running because of the pain that I was in from my grief with dad and everything. Um, I just thought, well, if you're not here to help in any way and you're not um, assisting me in my growth or enhancing my life and 
you just, it literally felt like he was bringing me down every day um, that I just ran. And so looking back, there are many things that if I knew then, <laughs> um, I would have done differently. And I do feel that I did try to work on it before I left. And so I do, I do think there are some circumstances where it's like, at what expense? How long do you keep fighting? How long do you keep trying to make it work or trying to fix it? And at what expense? Mm -hmm. Because if you're the only one fighting, if you're the only one putting in all the work and trying to make a difference and better yourself and all of your ideas and goals moving forward is to enhance and help that person, but they're not doing it in return because they're incapable of doing that, you got to ask yourself, do I want to sink with this person or go mm -hmm. row my own boat for a while? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was faced with. And that was one of the scariest decisions of my life because I felt like I was running from everything I ever knew mm -hmm. to try and start afresh. A big part of me was thinking, create new, as you said, but I'm still single two and a half years later. And I have no desire to enter into a relationship anytime soon. I've wanted to uh, focus on myself and selfishly spread my wings and learn all about me. And every time I felt like I missed him or I missed being in a relationship, I just asked myself, how can I learn how to connect with myself more, 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 more? And every time I felt that little twinge of loneliness, I just learned more ways to connect with myself. And as you said, you could be alone, but you can be connected with the world and nature and yourself. And now I just don't know what it feels like to be lonely. I don't. And, and, and you won't go back into relationship needing to fix loneliness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not into getting, getting onto Tinder and that, I, you know, no offense to people that do, but I feel that there's such a need and a desperation that the energy that even comes out of that app is just so icky to me. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe in having to sell yourself. You know, I believe that when you do the inner work, that the universe delivers what's meant for you at the right time. And I've always believed in not searching for love but allowing it to come to you when the time is right mm -hmm. and loving yourself and your journey in between. And I keep thinking about how all my single days will be over eventually. Eventually, I don't know when, but eventually. And so I want to embrace it and enjoy it while I can rather than see it as a, a hinder and a, you know, something that's a, a bad or negative. You know? And again, that's another thing society does. They're like, oh, God, you're 39 and single and not married and no kids. I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking living the dream over here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Um, so that's, yeah, big, big, big change. I used to go to baby showers and engagement parties feeling this pressure that, oh, my God, they're going to ask me, am I married? Where's my ring? And do you have kids yet? And, you know, after I separated from my husband, it was about six months later, I literally went to a baby shower and took my dog <laughs> everyone else took their kids and I took my dog <laughs> tucked her under my arm and rocked up with my dog and I had no shame in saying no no kids I'm good you know like just so solid and comfortable and really happy within myself that I wasn't ashamed to say that and what I found was the envy was on the other foot so normally I'd go to them envying them wanting what they had you know in the past <laughs> before my husband put a ring on it and, you know, when we were trying for a baby and whatnot. And they would always say to me, oh, don't worry, you'll be next, you know, that kind of talk. 
it was it was really sad that that women conditioned themselves to think that that was their role in life that we talked about before mm -hmm. and so this one time that I went there completely okay with who I am and where I was at in my journey and removed the judgment from myself and took my dog to this party and while they were stressing out about you know what their kids were into and what they were doing my dog was running around having a ball I didn't even have to worry about what she was doing and wanted to her and I watched and I saw this one woman sipping wine in the corner very sheepishly. And to one stage, she came and sat next to me. She goes, I'm going to sit with you because I noticed you brought some ciders and you're going to have a drink. So she started with me because instantly she thought everyone else is going to judge her if she's seen sitting by herself drinking. All right. And then there was another woman that um, I'm trying to have a conversation with her and she kept checking her phone all the time. And I said, oh, do you need to be somewhere? You, you, and she's, oh, my husband's got the kids and he's never usually alone with them. And I'm worried if there's an emergency, he'll call me. Like she seriously couldn't relax and have a conversation without checking the phone consistently. And it's like, you'd know if it vibrated or went off. So why the, the angst, right? But, but she, she, she held on to that because that served her a purpose. And then there was another woman um, who all she did was talk about how her body's not the same since kids and she just doesn't even bother getting in her swimmers in summer anymore and she hates when the kids want to go to the beach and like she, it was just all negative and then when the conversation turned to so you know do you have kids and I was like nope well, what do you do for work I do this I do that you know I was talking all about these amazing things that I was up to in the world and just how happy I was and the energy that I carried I realized all these women envied me in that moment and they had signed up to what society told them was what they should do and that was gone procreate before they even discovered who they were and now they've lost themselves in these roles and identities as mothers and they had no idea what they wanted for themselves and I saw that on their faces and it was really sad and it was a big yeah. change of perspective for me it's, uh, it's wonderful to realise that we can get trapped comparing ourselves to others yes, and devaluing ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then when you really dig deeper, you work out that there are other people doing exactly the same thing who want to be like you. Yes. <laughs> it's insane, isn't it? It, it is insanity. It's complete yeah. insanity. It's one of the biggest things that I've had to do. And uh, especially within this coaching space that I find myself in, and it's really interesting I have this conversation consistently with people. I don't even like the word coach or mm. uh, mentor is okay, but like, I don't like labels. It, uh, it's a Robin Sharma thing, I think. I did some training with him and he does his whole leader without a title idea. And yet I talk to my friends who are marketers and they say, well, yeah, that's great. However, someone needs to know what you are so they can find you. Yeah. So therefore I'm a coach. But I'm all, um, maybe I'm a teacher, maybe I'm a mentor, maybe I, I tell people I'm a Sherpa. That's what I do. Mm. You know what a Sherpa is? You've got an understanding of what a Sherpa does. Okay, so that's me. <laughs> and so it's a little bit, it's a bit more romantic and nicer than a coach. But see, back to what I was about to say, in, that I compare myself to what I see online automatically with all of these other coaches. Yeah. So I took a huge hiatus from Facebook and, and Instagram and I've only started to go, back into those worlds like very specifically so I can connect with people 
like yourself mm. that, that are like-minded and I can make you know, deep connections, not get stuck in the web of bullshit. Mm-hmm. But the algorithm sees that I'm a coach, so talks to me about coaches and puts all these other people up in front of me. And the messages are, you could be like this. Mm. You could be so much better than you are now. Mm-hmm. And there are coaches selling coaching, and I've never heard of them before. So they, I'm assuming that at least a percentage of them have never done anything other than coach coaches before. And yet I still catch myself with that initial thought of, oh, ah, no. And then I have, to, I have to stop myself and mm-hmm. not judge myself for having that thought because the thought comes. The thought's yeah. just there. Okay, yeah. got, had the thought again. It's what I do with the thought. Okay. There's part mm. of me that still wants to compare and still wants to play that game. Mm. And, uh, and I don't have to do anything about it. <laughs> so I've caught myself so much lately because, again, you know, I, I did a recent pivot to put everything back online rather than in person with the whole pandemic situation. So it's come full circle again, back online. Well, I'm not going to be at the position to, of people who've put five hard years into their online practice. So what am I comparing myself to? Yeah. That's a very interesting thing when you're teaching other people this and you see it in yourself. and you, it's, it's lovely to step back and witness and then witness the witness. And again, you were talking mm-hmm. earlier about sort of taking this disassociative <laughs> step back, det- detaching yourself in a positive way from, yeah. from that role and, and that activity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and then I'm sure there are people out there who look at my stuff and go, oh, look at this guy. He's doing such amazing stuff. It's so successful. But don't, oh, don't, yeah. Yeah, don't compare yourself to me. I'm just that. I'm just a guy. So, well, I did a very similar thing to myself. And I actually noticed a pattern of what you were saying before about coaches, coaching coaches. Most coaches, I saw a huge pattern there is that they started out as life coaches and tried to give that a go and they found it way too hard and became business coaches. <laughs> and the reason, the reason I went the other way. <laughs> the reason being is because society will invest so much money if someone can teach them how to make money. Yeah. But limited people will invest in themselves to learn how to better themselves as a human being. Strange, isn't it? Yeah. And I've talked about this a lot in my lives and, and at my events because I I always start off with commending people on showing up to the event. And they're yes. like, what do you mean? It was easy. And I'm like, you don't understand. There's that many people out there who will not show up. They are not prepared to do this work. Mm-hmm. The fact that you're even here is a huge leap in your journey. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you how I killed my own business coaching practice. Okay. I stopped, I stopped coaching people in their business and I started coaching the people. Yes. And they started having profound realizations. Mm. So it's more got, mindset. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, as, as part of it. Yeah. Awareness, mindset, where, where, where are your... Where are your boundaries? Where are you blocked? Yeah. Because everyone's like, I just need more clients. You don't need more clients. That's, <laughs> that's what you tell yourself you need. So a lot of tough love came into the equation. Yes. Yeah. And they didn't like that. 
So mm. it became about, oh, but the bottom line hasn't moved. But you haven't done the work that you need to do to get the bottom line to move. And this is what we're talking about at the moment. Oh, that's too uncomfortable. I don't want to work with you anymore. Mm. So I killed my entire business coaching <laughs> practice because I saw that the work I needed to do with people and that this was being, this was sitting in my own integrity. Yes. I could have kept taking their money and given them marketing ideas. Yeah. And then they could have got new clients and then it all still would have gone nowhere because they wouldn't have been able to manage and retain the clients mm. because there was a lot of under the surface stuff going on that they needed to resolve personally so they could be the person delivering service. Mm. Yep. But as soon as it was like poking a sore spot. <laughs> So slowly it all just fell over and I, I had to say, okay, well, I need to allow that to fall over because my journey into this next phase of where I can really be of service yes. cannot be selling business coaching when I know that I'm not coaching the business. Sure. But you're coaching the person that's the driver of the business. So well, of course, but yeah. that's not what they're thinking if they're coming towards the relationship in, you know, I will fix your business. I will yeah. teach you how to run a business. Yeah. I know what you mean. Well, it's like people come to me with a lot of relationship problems and the breakup, right? That's what they're going through. And they think I'm going to help them focus on the, the breakup and how to get their partner back or how to resalvage their <laughs> marriage or whatever it is. And I say, but you don't understand. Where does all the change start? Boom. <laughs> right? Within us. And, and they're like, oh, shit. Okay. Uh, well, I'll call you in a couple yeah. of weeks. <laughs> So this is why I have multiple uh, programs that cover different things because yeah, it's all about those steps, right? So we do the break free first and then I have a relationship program. Mm -hmm. Then I have another one which is based around that business mindset and like for people that are startups or developing the confidence to get their business going or increase their impact or branding. Um, and then the steps before that is like really getting deep on, on who they are and that identity, as we were saying, before they try and tackle the business or the relationship or whatever. Uh, and then the other one is uh, called Highlight Your Vision, and that's the do. So the break free is the who and the Highlight Your Vision is the do. So what are those goals? What do you want moving forward? And it's just that, that next layer in their journey after we do the break free one. So everyone's got to get to a certain level before they're ready to level up. And that's why I like to have those options for them. Uh, but I have a similar um, situation where when I first started my movement, Inspiring Minds Movement, I had no intention to be a coach, no intention whatsoever. I wanted to create uh, a platform and an environment where people could collectively come together and know that they're not alone in their journey, which is how I felt and gain the knowledge and inspiration and insight that they needed to evolve on their journey. And I had planned to hire all the coaches and speakers and authors I could find because mm -hmm. I had great access to them through all the events and the work I was doing. Um, then I wanted to hire them and put them on my stage and have them serve my audience to the best that they could. But the more that I tried to go down that route, I had people that were asking, well, who's the girl behind the movement? Why did she create it? What's her story? And the more I shared that through social media to get the move, movement going, it was like moths to a flame. They resonated with everything that I shared from my marriage breaking down to losing my dad the way I did to my upbringing, you know, all of that. And so 
because I had been through so much in my life, I was appealing and resonating with a very wide audience. And there were people that were like my dad that were reaching out. There were people that were former versions of me. There were people that were going through the the splits and, and the breakups and things. And it was just like so much coming at me that I didn't think of a title or a role or who I wanted to help. I had this idea I could help everyone right? And I had so many people saying to me, well, who's your avatar? And you've got to have a niche. And I wanted to punch them in the face at some point. I was just like, leave me alone. I, and you know, they'd say, you can't save the world, Jess. You can't help everyone. What's your message, Jess? Yeah. I was like, watch me. (laughs) Who's your audience? Yeah. It was so. How are you going to monetize your message? Yeah. Right. It's so Uh, icky. Yes. Yes. It was like a dagger every time. And I just kept twisting it in my chest. And I was like, oh, this hurts. So um, I also ran into a few obstacles along the way in my journey and I got ripped off by a few coaches. Oh yeah. That happens. Oh yeah. And to the point where um, because I didn't believe in myself and being able to share like I didn't think I had enough value to help people or I had enough knowledge. And to be honest, I was still deep in my own journey at that point when I created the movement, right? Mm-hmm. So I had had these epiphany moments. I had these breakthroughs, but oh, they were, they kept coming. And I was nowhere near ready to put myself in a position to start um, not dictating, but, you know, helping others in the light that I could only help them as far as I'd gotten in my own journey. Mm-hmm. And that was the truth of it. It was like, look, I can help you get to where I am, but from there, don't ask me, right? And I hadn't done any NLP training or anything um, at that point when I, you know, started considering it. And then it was just before the pandemic that I did get certified in NLP and, and all the rest of it. But it was more my life experience that served me the ability to, to help others and be a coach. It wasn't what I learned in the textbook or through NLP. It was just Never is. my own experiences. Right. And so from there, again, everyone was asking, well, what type of coach are you? And I was still a lot in my survival fight mode. I had not broken free of that. And so I was a self-empowerment coach. It was just in a more positive, enlightening way than a go kill it. <laughs> you know. And through that, um, the clients just poured in. I wasn't even trying, Adam. I just simply showed up as me. And I made 32 grand in the first six weeks and went, whoa, I, what's going on here? I just fell into a big, you know, money pod and was like, okay, so this is my calling. This is what I'm meant to do. But then I got so caught up in what everyone says. Uh, Who's your avatar? What's your message? Who are you helping? And I was like, I don't know, whoever comes to me, I'm not going to turn people away because I don't fit into my, Mm -hmm. my avatar, you know? And it just became this vicious cycle of, self-doubt I don't know who I'm talking to I don't know what message to show up with today and listening to everyone else's opinion and jamming it down my throat saying you're never going to be able to survive in this industry you're never going to do that and I then I had all of these experts coming up to me and saying you've achieved more in 12 months than I've seen any other coach step up in this arena so far and it was purely by just remaining true to me and showing up as me authentically, and they still just flow in. And I've come up, I developed this mindset of, I'm good if you don't sign with me. Like, That's the one. Yeah, if you're not my ideal my, client. My worth is not, client. yeah, it's, it's, it's my worth is not based on your decision. Yes, 
Yeah. And I won't arm wrestle them into making that decision or beg them to work with me or chase them. You know, I had a client recently say, my friend's just gone through a breakup. Um, she's not on Facebook, but you know, if I give her, her your details, can you give her a call? And I said, no. I said, here's the link to my website. If she doesn't know anything about me, she doesn't resonate with who I am and my message and who I'm helping, or she hasn't watched any of my content or anything like that. So I'm not going to go chase her to be my client. She needs to show the initiative that she wants to do the work. Mm-hmm. And these yeah. people have to make a commitment to me as much as I'm committed to them. Yeah, they have to find the right person for them as well. And if that's you, that's awesome. And if it's not, then that's awesome as well. Exactly. Because there's someone else out there that may be better suited to them and can help them at the level that they're at. Mm-hmm. And then people say to me, well, why do you help other coaches as well? Because I'm not a business coach, but other coaches come to me and want help. And I said, because we need more leaders stepping up out there. Mm-hmm. If I can share something with them that's going to enlighten them to allow them to help other people, then Again, we're healing ourselves and healing each other and this ripple effect gets bigger and bigger and we can end the war with ourselves and each other. And yeah, it's just like, why wouldn't we? But we're in this, in this, in this space of need. And oh, it's, so, it's so funny. Just this. Yeah. Oh, they're mine. They're not yours. Mm. But I, I, I find myself in, in sort of like the men's health, men's wellness. I don't even know what it is you know, leadership in the men's work kind of world. Yep. And I think that is purely because I talk a lot about the work that I do within my own men's circle. And, but, but I'm not doing it to say, I just want to work with men. Mm. So I'm connected with a lot of people who are leaders in men's work. And one of them recently had a, a retreat. It's a local retreat that's coming up. It's in November. I'm actually going to it to work with this guy because I respect his work. Yeah. And I promoted it to, I've got a little group of men, which is on Facebook at the moment, uh, which I started up against very similar to what you're talking about with your movement, just to create a space, a safe place for people to connect. Yes. And I put, I put his link to his stuff in it. And he, he wrote this message to me saying, I, I'm so thankful that you have this uh, mindset of abundance and sharing. Mm-hmm. And I said, but why would I not? Yeah. But I can't see why I would limit the opportunities for the people who have decided to connect with me. Now, as far as I know, no one has signed up with this for this particular retreat because it's not it's not expensive, but it's not three dollars fifty either. <laughs> and not a happy meal. <laughs> it's not a happy meal. Uh, but but it's just the intent behind it, mm. and, and it's what you said. You, if you go into this thing with an attitude of lack, then everyone misses out. Mm. But there might have been one man within my small community that saw that and did it and it changed his life. Mm-hmm. And he did that and didn't work with me potentially down the track. I still served him. That's okay. Yeah. But it's not how most, and this is the unfortunate thing about our industry that we share this coaching the circle that is coaching that it's unusual to find that. Mm. And I have this podcast that we're talking on right now. Mm. The vast majority of people I talk to are in the coaching space. I make sure that I get as much information from those coaches as I can. I share links to their stuff. When I put a video out to YouTube, it has a logo from that coach. Mm-hmm. Oh, go. If, if you connect to Jessica's message, mm. go see Jessica. Yeah. 
And yeah. if if you connect with mine, say hello. That's and fine too. Yeah. This when I, just, I do the podcast interviews, I always share the footage and the person that interviewed me and everything. And most of the time they are other coaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I started this by accident because a friend said, you like talking to people, you have great conversations with people, start a podcast. Okay. <laughs> two, days later, two days later, I said, okay, so we're, um, we're doing a Zoom call. We spoke for three hours. Yeah, wow. So this is episode one with Maddie. He's, uh-huh. he's, like, he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Just start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I've got one coming out in December. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, and I'm what, really... What will the name of that be? Sorry? What will the name of the podcast be? Has it got a name? Mm, inspired to Succeed. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and reason being is because success looks different to everyone. Mm. Oh, it does it what? Yes, and they want to succeed in all areas of their life and people want to feel successful, have successful relationships, the job, the career, whatever it is. And so they can be inspired to succeed in all areas. And I want to bring forward people that have successful stories, but they have something they've overcome to get there so that people realize everyone starts somewhere. Um, but it's also a platform for my clients to gain uh, free meditations, uh, guided meditations from me because all of my clients need them that, you know, that have a bit of anxiety, they're struggling to sleep, they're struggling mm-hmm. to break patterns. And so I want them to be able to just go on, jump on a link. And if they've been uh, guided by my voice and used to my voice as that person, that's their voice of reason, then they're go- it's going to uh, trigger an emotional a nostalgic feeling for them Mm -hmm. right and especially if i'm the voice that they hear when they have a breakthrough so if they don't have access to me 24 7 uh when they need it they might be having a moment or being triggered oh i'll just go listen to jess on a meditation right so there to save the day at any hour (laughs) the the parallels between what you and i doing at the moment are just so ridiculous so ridiculous this this podcast will go out in about a month so it'll go end of october Mm mm-hmm early November, uh, middle of October, I'm releasing a space that's got a lot of that content in it. Meditations, hypnosis, uh, mm. just just stuff where it's different ideas, but from the one voice. Yes. So, so amazing. <laughs> just, mm. I cannot, it's uh, the synchronicity that is landing in my world at the moment is just profound. Mm. That, you, that you've got that same idea. It's, that's crazy. So yeah. anyway, I will I will make sure that I share with that when that comes out. Please let me know, and I'll will do. I'll, I'll share that. That will be wonderful. Yeah. More podcasts are better. The more meaningful podcasts are better. Yes. Yeah. Look, I was going to call it Inspiring Minds, but I searched the name, and there's quite a few people that have already got the Inspiring Minds. So it'll be Inspired to Succeed by Inspiring Minds. Uh huh. Yeah. See, I wasn't that intelligent when I uh, I've been using the term wholehearted for years, just internally and with my small cadre of people and my clientele. So when I put the podcast out, it was always going to be called wholehearted. And there's about a thousand of them that are wholehearted something or other, but that's okay because people are going to put my name with wholehearted and find it. Yes. So that that's okay. And I'm not looking to be number one on the Spotify podcasts, blah, de, blah, de, blah. So I don't care. I could have called it anything, but it just didn't make any sense to not use the thing that underlies my whole philosophy of life. Like, I've got to use that. Like you're using inspiring so well. How, why would you not use it? Mm, like even my name on Instagram is Jessica Kate Inspire. Mm-hmm. That's just been my mission the entire time. As I said, I never intended to be a coach. It was just to inspire other people yeah. to choose what's right for them. And 
make those choices that are in alignment with the truth of who they are. I just think that's so important and such an important message to share and to know that no matter where you come from or what your background is, we all have a story, but you have a choice to rewrite that and want to change your life for the better. Like it's, yeah, people are blown away when I get right into the details of my my past and my story and my upbringing. And they just go, how'd you come out so normal? <laughs> I was like, oh my. <laughs> yeah, what, what's normal? <laughs> exactly. I don't even know what, I honestly don't know what that is anymore. Yeah. But and speaking I th- of the titles you were saying before, it's like, uh-huh. I couldn't pick a title. I used to be a self-empowerment coach and now I'm a success mindset coach. And, you know, I, I prefer to just be thought leader, right? Just provoke new thoughts, positive thoughts, uh, hope, faith, inspiration, all of that. And just mm. be a thought leader. Yeah. I'm, I'm coming to the opinion that I will let other people call me what they want to call me, good or bad, <laughs> and that's okay. I, yeah. When I started doing some work, pushing information out, just to, just to allow that information to be out there so it would attract, I was using wellness coach. Mm. I worked out that I was using my own interpretation of what wellness was, right? which is very, very broad. Mm. Uh, so I dropped it, the wellness and I just have wholehearted coach and everyone I've said that to, they said, Oh, what's that? And I'm exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. What does it mean for you? What does wholehearted mean for you? And they'll come up with something and I'm like, that's where you are right now. And now we can have a conversation about your story yeah, uh, and what wholeheartedness means to you. Because my whole thing is we get stuck when we're being half-hearted. Mm-hmm. If we become wholehearted if we move out of our head stop being completely logical about everything move into our intuition mm-hmm. so from head to heart yeah but not only that we be wholehearted mm-hmm. then all of a sudden all the doors open up yes and you don't have to be a yogi on a hill to realize that there's a lot that you're missing out on by not going all in mm-hmm. so jump in mm-hmm. how do i do that ah okay there's the work <laughs> Yeah, well, a lot of business coaches would always ask me, what's your superpower? And I, I used to say converting pain to power. As a self-empowerment coach, that's what I would do. I would use pain as leverage. And that's this my, my banner here can't see the bottom of it. But it says learning how to effectively use our pain as leverage to increase the value and meaning of our life can be vital to our personal growth. Right? So that was, um, it was Converting pain to power, I used to say, was my superpower. But now I say it's connecting minds back to hearts. Mm. Because as you were saying, we get caught up in our head and that judgment and the limiting beliefs and those stories and all the rest of it, it, it's debilitating our ability to come back to our hearts and listen to what we truly want. And as I was saying before, people don't even know who they are. They've created this identity on who they think they need to be. In order masks. to, yeah, in order to receive love, to to be successful, whatever that desire is that they want to be liked and loved and not judged and prove mm-hmm. something, you know, they create an identity around that, and it's really sad that they lose who they are in that. And that's what I was saying about the mums at that party, right? They would, they just thought, I've got to find a man, procreate, and that's my role in life. And they found themselves in it and going, oh shit. It's not what I signed up for. Yeah. And just losing themselves in that and going, is this it? 
you know, I'm not happy with my body. I can't sit here and have a drink without feeling judged. I have to look at my phone constantly. It, it was just like, are you happy with that person that that's made you become? Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's different. I'm not saying all mums are like that, but this was what I witnessed at, at this party, you know, out of 30 odd women, there was a few that I engaged with that just were not, I could see it in their eyes. They didn't have clarity on who they were and hundred percent happy with their choice to, to dive into motherhood. And I've had clients in the past because before I became a coach, I had a nail salon. I was in the beauty industry and it's always been my passion to make people feel better about themselves, right? Which is why I got into that industry. And I would speak to a lot of women and pretty much coach them for free. <laughs> and a lot of the, the like some of the women would say to me, you know, I have reached moments in, in my life where I wonder if this is even what I wanted. Why did I even have kids? I was like, wow. So it's not that they didn't love their kids, but it was, you know, have I done everything I wanted to do? And was that the best decision at that time? Or what about the partner they chose to have the kids with? It's one of those things you can't put them back. (laughs) No, there is no returns section on children. (laughs) No. Return to sender. No, it doesn't happen. No. And so that's something they, they have to work with and learn how to evolve in that role that they've chosen. Mm. And a lot of people struggle with that. I do. And I mm. think a lot of the time and not all of the time, it's never one size fits all. Mm. Uh, is People are so fixated on the next thing or where they should be rather than where they are. Yes. That they lose track of the complete joy and excitement in that moment so even when your kids are going batshit crazy mm. you can find joy in that <laughs> or you can find work in it that's important yeah there's lessons in every experience mm. right and sometimes it's really like parenting is an uncomfortable activity a lot of the time mm. I, we took my children out yesterday to the local river did everything we could for they, they pretty much got what they want what they wanted in that ex, in that exercise and then my daughter was like, can I have something else? And I said, can you just stop and think for a moment that you're getting upset now because we've said no to one thing after you've just had everything. Mm. And she got really upset about it. And I said, that's, you know, I just not get upset about it. I mean, I still got internally upset, but don't show that just quiet, just quiet. This is work. Mm. This is her, and it's her stuff. She came down later and apologized. Yeah, good. Because she, she worked it out for herself. Right. I wasn't looking for the apology, but no. all I'm saying is there was still beauty in that because yeah. there was there was something that she was able to learn herself. Yep, what a great lesson that yeah. you and, have to show her though. Well, but there was, but even beyond that, there was practice for me in not just mm-hmm. blowing up because yes, I didn't fall into the trap of this car ride home from the beach should be wonderful because we all had a good time. Mm-hmm. What is happening is other than that. Yes. And again, we're back to judgment, right? See, if I had fallen into the trap there, and I did to a certain extent, I'll admit, because I am not perfect. Uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't allow myself to feel that judgment and then just lose it at her because she'd ruined something that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And now we're not having it. So that's, and that's my work as a parent. I think sometimes 
when we're, and it might not be the women that you were talking to, but we fall into, this isn't what I expected. Yes. And so we're judging reality versus expectation. Yes. And we're not mindfully aware and involved in the situation that we find ourselves in. We're trying to get away from it. Mm-hmm. And that's the rub. Mm. If you immerse yourself in it, mm. that's where you find the joy. Even, even when your kids are tearing down the uh, you know, chips section at Woolies and having a bit of a tanty, you can still find something in that. Yeah. You, you, you will not necessarily find happiness, <laughs> <laughs> but there's still yeah. something there. Yeah, there's lessons nonetheless, right? And learning and connection. There's always a way through witnessing someone's behavior. I think you can learn more about them. And what I love about that story, Adam, is that so many people are so caught up in self-obsessing and self-suffering that when someone else um, reacts that way, they see it as a reflection of them and their self-worth. So you could have thought to yourself, hypothetically, um, she doesn't think I'm a good enough parent. I did everything for these kids today and they're still cracking it. Nothing's ever good enough. Go to your room, get out of my sight, Mm -hmm. right? Because you chose to make it about you and made yourself feel like you weren't a good enough parent in that moment. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people that do that. And the same in relationships. They could say, oh, well, I cooked this beautiful meal and they didn't say thank you. They didn't do the dishes afterwards. They didn't come and rub my feet or whatever. (laughs) and it's the expectations of I'm doing this because I think they're going to go and do that afterwards. But when they don't do that thing you expected, you're like, oh, it wasn't even appreciated. It wasn't this. It wasn't that. Right. Because they just self-obsess about how it makes them feel. They're not able to think outside of themselves, but you had the consciousness there to review your daughter's behavior and say, well, wait a minute, what can I teach her about this that she can discover about herself? And what a lovely lesson that you give with her. Sometimes it happens by accident, honestly. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to claim any divine wisdom here because the, <laughs> the other side of that is the exact response that you just described happens as well, where I, where I am not aware enough, too tired, or just at the end of my tether. Mm. And I do do the, it's time for you to be elsewhere right now. Mm. And yet there is an opportunity there as well. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and there have been many, many times where I have been the one who has walked up and said, I'm sorry, that wasn't appropriate. That yeah. was, and that was my stuff. Mm. I, I was angry or concentrating on something else that had nothing to do with you. And you walked into the middle of a little bit of, yeah. <laughs> bit of chaos and you wore yeah. it and that's not okay. I can't take that back, but I can tell you that I didn't mean it to come across that way. And I'm sorry, is there anything I can do to make you feel better? Do we want to have a chat about it? But so in that way, that sort of becomes modeling as well, that you can, oh, that you, is can you can own your, you can own it, right? You can own it. Yeah, that's ultimate parenting because they're identifying that that is normal to be vulnerable and own your shit, as you were saying. So mm. they're going to carry that into their adult life and into their I do hope so. relationships. any relationship they have whether it be a colleague at work or their boss or you know an intimate relationship that they have and not to mention they're going to pass it on to their children as well they're seeing a great power in owning 
how they're feeling and taking responsibility without having to sign up to an eight-week program called Break Free. <laughs> I love it. Oh, uh, it's so funny. I mean, I it, it. it's. I think it it comes out of just being more aware of what's going on. Yes. And my, we started with talking about judgment, and so that's that's sort of what's really there for me at the moment. Right. But what I've what I've recognized is my wife and I do our best not to let that seep in. Mm. And uh, and we make a lot of stuff okay. Mm. So even like even the times when we've been having like my wife and I haven't been getting along as well as we would want to, and the kids are saying, "Are you okay?" Well, we just honestly say, "Well, we're disagreeing about things at the moment, and that's okay." Yes. And so they that they, they, then they don't frame yes. a disagreement as a bad thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I didn't have that when I was a kid. It was like if mum and dad were arguing, it's like, oh, yeah. are they going to get a divorce? Are they, is, yeah. What's going to happen next? Yeah. Not that they did anything wrong, but there was no openness then. And that was the 70s, 80s into the 90s. So it was a bit of a different way of yeah. doing things. <laughs> it's good. Oh, and so, I, it, hey, you talking about those women and their conversations, it, it, it makes you think about the different paths that people have in and around this chaos of parenting it's beautiful i always say it's beautiful chaos <laughs> i believe yeah. it's the expectations as you were saying but it's more the pressure they're putting on themselves as i Absolutely. said i went i went to these parties with that pressure on myself of i should have a ring on my finger i should have a baby in a pram because that's what society tells you you should be doing and it's that mm. pressure right and then to make it even worse we've got these women showing up on Instagram with their designer prams and their little active wear outfits and showing everyone that there's no stretch marks, there's no cellulite, they don't look like a blown up whale or balloon with all the water retention. They're using filters and all these things Mm -hmm. that is making these women feel like they're so abnormal to feel what they're feeling, that they're not allowed to have this idea of, oh my God, this is hard or I'm failing at this or you know, we need to allow people to know that that part of the the journey is normal and to doubt yourself and to have concerns and want to put your hand up and ask questions and not have all the answers, right? But we don't, we don't normalize that in society. And so we all individually, as you're saying, have those expectations of how we think it's going to look, you know, even when they think they're going to look when they're pregnant. Or how their body's going to look after pregnancy, the expectations. Oh, I'll just rub these oils on. I'll be fine. I won't have any, I won't have any stretch marks. I won't have any loose skin. I'm going to, I used to tell people one day when I have a kid, I'm going to snap back like elastic. You wait. That's what I used to tell people. I just had no, like I haven't had any kids and I wouldn't know, but to, to, to create this belief that that was an expectation I had. Mm. I was like, no, I'm going to do everything. I'm not going to be one of those women that, you know, has the the stretch marks. I'm going to put all the creams on. I'm going to do it 10 times a day if I have to. I'm going to still do my squats. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Like you just put this pressure on yourself. But why? Why wouldn't I just sit back and embrace every experience and part of that journey as it's meant to unfold? Mm -hmm. Right? But that's society projecting its ideations onto you as to how you should live, how you should feel, what your family dynamic should be like. It's really sad. 
really, really sad. So I just need people to, to come home to who they are and choose their own experience and limit those expectations. It's, um, it's the gap between reality and expectation where the stuckness is. Yeah. And if the gap's big, then there's more stuck. Mm-hmm. And when people realize that it's just all here and now, mm. like every time I get shitty with stuff or I start to feel like that anxious feeling in my guts, I'm not here. I'm shooting and I'm uh, comparing and judging. Ah, I'm doing it again. Okay. More work. Yeah. Here we go again. Let's do some more work. Oh, yeah. I put up this comical um, reel a couple of months ago and um, I was putting on an accent and I had these glasses on and I, um, I put up a quote that said, when you identify um, that you've got more shadow work to do and you've got to face your own bullshit and the video was me going, like this, like pretending like I only just spotted it. And I was, and I lift and I was like, no, wait a minute. Let me put my damn glasses on so I can see better. And I'm trying to see better. And I'm like, oh, all that right there. Yeah, that's a bitch. Right? Cause you're identifying that that's your shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not fun when you find it. No, there's, <laughs> there's this misconception that, oh, yeah, I'll just have, I'll, I'll, I'll have my moment of samadhi or <laughs> I'll get enlightened. <laughs> I'll work it all out. And then you yeah. have the next thing to work out. And then you have the next thing to work out. Mm. Well, that we're not supposed to have problems, right? That's why I love the lesson that you're teaching your kids about if you aren't at your best at that time and you're just having an argument or, you know, sharing your different opinions at that time. And then you say to the kids, but that's okay. Mm. It's like we grow up this idea that we're not supposed to have problems. No. That, and, that's the and first thing I start with. Yeah, and people are like, oh, okay, there's a problem. Quick, I've got to come up with the quickest solution to resolve it. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Why don't you just sit with that problem and take what you can from it and learn from it, which is what you were teaching your kids because it's okay to have differences. It's okay to hit the lows and, and have some downs. And then that prepares them for life. Like yeah. what about business? Business is up and down. You're going to hit pits and patches of highs and lows, money pots, no money pots, right? You've got to persevere with the roller coaster of life, business, relationships, and us having these conversations and normalizing the fact that it's not all rosy and it's okay to feel what you feel and to limit those expectations and to embrace the problems and the challenges and take them on and, and you know absorb all those lessons. You're empowering yourself every single day by making those choices. That's incredible. Yeah, and there could not be a better place for me to press pause yeah. and, and wrap us up because that <laughs> that's is... That's a great ending. Honestly, couldn't have scripted that better. <laughs>